I'm going to read out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, a familiar passage of Scripture, verse 11. And I want to talk to you this morning about it's complicated. Relationships are complicated. Relationships with family, with spouses, relationships with one another, they can be very complicated. Even relationships with God can be complicated for many people. As you heard in that testimony, maybe people showing God in their own way and it's being misconstrued, misrepresented, and relationships can be complicated. So I've titled this message this morning, It's Complicated. But Jeremiah 29, 11 decomplicates the matter by saying, I have plans for you. For thus says the Lord, he says, My, for I have known the thoughts I think to you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, thoughts to give you future and a hope. Verse 12 says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. But in the seeking, in the finding, in the, the life day to day, it can be complicated. So let's pray this morning and ask God to decomplicate this issue when it comes to our relationships with God and one another. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light and we're trusting you to do what only you can do to heal our homes, to heal our relationships with you and with one another. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, amen. amen. You could be seated this morning. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Thank you, Pat, for staying up there. And thank you again for coming. Thank you for honoring the worshiping the Lord with your giving to the ministry. We couldn't do it without you. And I just really know that uh, it's, it's understated, but we couldn't do what God's called us to do without you. And your participation is so uh, imperative. So thank you for trusting us and putting your seed in the, in the soil here in the kingdom of God. Because what we're doing, it has eternal lasting. And thank you for that. And I really want to help you think differently so you can live differently and rise above all the day-to-day -day things of life. Because it is really complicated. How many of you know relationships can be complicated? When you're raised in a dysfunctional home, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Joey, my family put the funk in dysfunction. It's so true. You could be raised in certain ways and have a level of dysfunction and not even know about it. And, and relationships can be complicated. Marriages could be complicated. Trying to find the right person could be complicated. So this message this morning is for people who are married, people who want to be married, and people who are sorry they're married. So these are for everybody this morning because it reminds me of the widow woman. She was crying over the marriage that had ended in death with her fourth husband. And as she was crying over the urn that they had, had put him on the, on the top there of the shelf, the urn, she was just so crying, she was so upset, and she was, just, she was just overwhelmed with grief and emotion over that fourth husband. A lady standing by her said, man, she's got husbands to burn and I can't find one. <laughs> it's true. So often we think, you know, psychologists are now telling us that girls are tending to marry boys that are just like their fathers. Think about that. Girls are always gravitating to marry boys that are just like their fathers. And when I read that statistic, I thought that proves why women and moms cry at their weddings of their daughters. Because they're thinking about, oh, the husband, oh, my husband, my husband. And some believe that relationships like have to have a perfect uh, revelation, that relationships have to be perfect, marriages have to be perfect, and selecting the perfect mate. But can I just tell you today, there is no perfect mate. 
There is no perfect relationship. There is no perfect church. And if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. There is no perfect anything. Only Jesus is perfect. Can I get a witness this morning? So it's important that we understand that. So we have to start thinking differently and and looking at things differently and understanding. To be successful in life, you have to look at the strengths and the failures and our weaknesses. So in other words, good people find strengths and they brag about the strengths and then they start defending weaknesses. That's what a good friend does. That's what a good relationship does. They brag about your strengths and then they defend your weaknesses. You know in life you're going to have lots of acquaintances, but you're going to have very few good friends. So think about if we're talking about marriage for a moment, for the people that are single and want to be married. I prayed with a lady recently in the church here, and she said, Joey, pray that I would, I would, I just want a godly man, and I, I just want, I, I just want, I want to be married. And I said, you don't want to be just married. You want to be married to the right person. So first off, if you're going to be getting married, you got to have a person that's committed to Christ. If they don't have a commitment with Christ, they can't keep a commitment with you. If they will not keep a covenant with God, what makes you think they'll keep a covenant with you? It's so important to know. We live in a society there where we call missionary dating and missionary this and I'm going out here and I'm going to do this. But the person has to be committed to Christ. They have to have a testimony. When I do marriage counseling, and I try not to do it often because I'm not a very good counselor, but sometimes I do. And the first thing that I ask in the, in the couple that wants to be married, I always look at the man and say, share with me your testimony. How did you come to Christ? And if they can't share that, I often think, well, you're probably not ready to be married yet. They say, well, we have three kids. You're probably not ready to be married yet. Because first off, they have to have a commitment to Christ. You know, the scriptures tell us that. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. The scriptures tell us that fellowship with light and darkness, they cannot coexist. Isn't that important? Because God gave that law through Moses. Remember, it was the law of God given through Moses to the Jewish people. And in that law, God said it was forbidden for animals to be yoked together that were not equal. They talked about that a lot in the Old Testament, and it said it forbid the yoking of a donkey, an ass, if you will, I'm not cussing, that's in the King James, an ass and an ox together because they were unequal animals. So in other words, don't tie them up together because they're unequal. An ox was clean, according to the scriptures, because it chewed its own cud and it had a split wolf, a, a split hoof, I should say. But the, but, the, but the donkeys we're in was not clean. You get my point there. It was unclean, no pun intended. How many people do you know they start getting yoked together in the 21st century that are not connected with the right things? They get yoked in relationships and business. They get yoked together with what we call soul ties because they have hookups and they start messing around and they get hooked together and they're unequally yoked and they they start pulling and pushing and things aren't kind of connecting together and then they wonder why that life is full of calamity and drama and and all these things it's because they're not equally yoked it's so important to find people that are pushing in the right direction, that you've got people in your boat that are rowing and not poking holes in the boat. 
So many relationships, they have people that are in their sphere of influence. They're not, they're not rowing with you. They're poking holes in the boat. And we have to distinguish that because the Bible tells us that fellowship with light and darkness, they cannot and will not coexist. So you have to make sure that the people you have around you are moving in the same direction, especially in a relationship of marriage. They have to have a commitment to the Lord first, their only, uh, or first and foremost only because if they don't have that, you're going to be always constantly going in different directions. It's important because maybe you're trying to find somebody on the internet and now you've got, you've got this, this Holy Ghost, you're asking God to hook you up and you don't have to be lonely at farmersonly.com. You have to be careful because that guy on the, on the profile page, for one, he doesn't really look like that. For two, he may be a serial killer. You do not know that, so you have to judge everything. And I'm not saying don't do that, but I am saying you need to be careful of that. So you have to find yourself a believer, somebody that has salvation and not galvation. Somebody that's connected to the Holy One of Israel, the one true God. Somebody that loves Jesus and keeps a covenant with Him. Can I get a witness this morning? That's important. But not only that, you say, well, the, the, if, if the young man is not a believer, then can I give you some advice? You need to dump him. You should dump him and say, wait until he gets a commitment. Wait till he gets a testimony. Remember, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If you want to hook up with an overcomer, you got to hook up with a Christian. You need to know that an overcomer is a believer because they've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So that's just, that's just some, I'm giving you some conscious streams of thoughts today out of the goodness of my kind heart. So you need to marry a believer. You, and then the second thing, if you're looking for a man, ladies, you've got to marry somebody who's a provider, somebody who has a proven work ethic, who has a job. It's important because the Bible says you're going to work for six days a week, not a month. You work six days a week, and after you work six days a week, you're to provide for your family. Because if you don't provide for your family, it says you're worse than an unbeliever. That's important because if you're dating somebody that won't hold a job, can't keep a job, then you're going to be carrying that low life for the rest of your life. You say, I've never heard such a thing. Well, now you have. You need to be careful because they have to have a proven work ethic. They have to know that. You know, when I met Jennifer and she loved the Lord so much, you know the first thing I asked her? Do you have a job? <laughs> You know, I had it in the reverse, reverse direction back then. But I was being sanctified little by little. But I had a job. Then I asked her if she had a job. Because if my job didn't work out, I needed somebody to support me. But I don't really think it works that way in the scriptures. I think the, the, that we are supposed to work this thing together. But this is important because not only do they have to, need to have a commitment to Christ, not only do they need to have a proven work ethic, but they need to be telling the truth. How many relationships get born in deception? They get literally born in deception because they start telling lies and they don't speak the truth. No relationship, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, no relationship can be born or sustained in deception. The Bible tells us we shouldn't lie. Remember, if you lie, you always have to remember what you said. And you always keep worrying about, did I say that? Did I say that? But if you tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. 
because it's the truth. And the truth is like uh, it will set you free. It was absolutely freedom. So it's important that you're being with somebody that they don't have a pattern of lying. And if you see those patterns of lying, you need to say, this is not for me. When God created Adam, now think about this. We're talking about relationships, and it can get a little complicated. So think about when God created Adam. God created Adam, and he knew exactly what type of mate Adam needed. He took a rib out of Adam's side. That's a unique thing, because when you look that word up in the Hebrew, there's a definition of that word in the Hebrew of that rib, and it means beam like the main member of the house that holds the house together. So when he took the rib out of Adam's side to create Eve, what he really was doing was establishing the foundation of the home and giving the beam through Eve the establishment of what was going to be the civil society of mankind. And so he, he gets Adam and he, he pulls the rib out and the beam, it's so important. The very linguistic explanation here is that the wife is the main beam of a man's life. That if she were not in that man's life, that life would collapse. What's a society doing when it starts to hook up with the same types of people? Society begins to collapse because there's no procreation. There's only recruiting and they cannot reproduce life because that beam is taken out of the way. And that's important to know because that wife, that, that life is the foundation of the home. That's why wives, you need to nudge your husband on the way home right in the rib and say, without me, you would collapse. You would collapse. When God created Eve, she was the perfect partner for Adam. Now think about that. In the theater of your mind, can't you see God beginning to bring Eve to Adam as he's just awakened from his anesthesia, the first recorded surgical sleep in the Bible. He's awakened from his sleep, and here God brings this woman, Eve, a perfect ten. She's totally naked, and Adam wakes up and says, God's will for my life. She's naked, she's there, and he says, something good's about to happen. Oh, don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know what's up. God was the first matchmaker. Can I get a witness this morning? He was. Adam didn't have to go out to the dating scene and tip into the club or look it on the internet. He didn't have to do all that. God brought her to him. God brought her to him. Think about that. There's a revolutionary concept there because when I was not a Christian and I didn't become a Christian, I wasn't raised in church, but when I was 22, I was already uh, doing different things. You know, I'm not proud of it, but I was a bouncer in the bars before I was 18. You know, I was a big guy, 300 pounds, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm handsome. And so, you know, I, 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 being a bouncer, I would be in these rough places there in Sacramento and the Bay Area, and, and, and there, and some of these bars I would bounce in as a young man, they were rough. I mean, I'd be the guy at the door, you know, the big burly guy at the door, and I would, if I would be at the door, I'd have to frisk you for a weapon, and if you didn't have a weapon, I'd give you one. I mean, these were some tough places, and that was just the women. I mean, I'd like to say, you're going to need this shiv, you're going to need this, you're going you're to need this gun. I'm teasing. But they'd have everything on Friday night, they'd have this thing called happy hour. 
Happy hour would be from 5.30 to 8.30. And happy hour is where a bunch of drunks would get together and a bunch of lounge lizards would come and all these slimy looking men would come and try to hit on all the women there in the bar, in the club. And I would always think to myself, even as an unbeliever, these guys are gross. Happy hour? I don't think so. The only happy hour on planet Earth, can I tell you what it is? It's when all God's children come together in a tade like this and we start singing the songs of worship and the sweet smell of heaven fills the room. This is happy hour. So the, I remember when I met Jennifer, I met her in church. I didn't meet her in the club. She was in the church, and she was worshiping the Lord and looking at me. Worshiping the Lord, looking at me. Worshiping the Lord, looking at me. And I thought, she's looking. Yeah, exactly, because she's not here, I can tell her. <laughs> Come on, you're not to front me out here. Okay, she wasn't looking at me. She was worshiping the Lord. And I may have been looking at her. But I didn't meet Jennifer there. I met Jennifer in the church. And I'll never forget talking to her and having my conversation with her for the first time. And her love for Jesus was so evident. Her love for the Lord was so contagious. I thought, this is somebody that I could talk to. And that started those connections. But there's something so important about having the right connections and, and understanding that you don't need to go out and, and get into the chase. Can I encourage you? Don't get into the chase. Leave that up to God. Don't find yourself out here trying to make yourself available here, trying to make yourself available there. I had a guy tell me in the past, he says, Joey, I got to go to a different church. I can't find the women here. I said, stop looking. And then I said, clean yourself up. Maybe you'll get one. You're looking rough. Get over to the gym. Get yourself in shape. Get a change of clothes. Let's hook you up. What's the point? Get out of the chase. Let God, the original matchmaker, give you the desires of your heart. Let God bring you the right man, the right woman. Let God. God loves that he would bring the connection because people say, well, Joey, what about divorce? I've gone through a divorce. God hates divorce, but he loves the divorced. God hates divorce. We all know that. That's not the best thing. But he loves people that go through it because he knows there's a new chapter and a new beginning for them. And he knows that he's got something better for them on the other side of that. Whether it's a loss, a separation, uh, somebody passing away or going through a separation. That's good to know because the enemy and religion will say, oh, you can't do that again. You can't love again. You have to wait for God to bring you the right person. Think about that. Some of you are looking at me saying, Joey, you're just being a little bit old-fashioned, and you're, you're saying to yourself, that's unrealistic. No, it's not. It's not unrealistic at all. Remember in the Old Testament when Abraham and Marie talked about it? She was talking about Isaac, and Isaac was looking for a bride. Isaac needed a wife, and Abraham didn't think it was unrealistic to trust God to do it. And he, he needed to have a wife. So Isaac needed to have the right woman, his, his, to his partner. And so I read this in the Bible, and I think it applies to this story today because I think some of you need to understand. Just wait on God. He didn't think it was unrealistic. So what did Abraham do? He sent out his servant, Eliezer, to go find his son, the right woman. And it was a long journey. It was a sacrificial journey. It took a lot to make it happen. But that's why I say you just don't want a woman. You want God's woman. You don't want just a man. Some of the women are saying, I just want a man. No, you don't. You want God's man. You don't just want a man. Some of you are like, no, I do, Joey. No, no, no. No, get rid of your carnality. You want God's man. You want God's woman. 
Eliezer makes a pact with God, and this is recorded in the scripture, and it sculptures the destiny of Israel. He said, Lord, this is recorded in the Bible. The woman I want for Isaac will not only give me water, but will draw water for my ten camels also. Now, why is that important? Because in those days, ten camels coming up in a caravan was a big entourage. Do you know in, 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 in the camel's body, it could hold 30 gallons of water in one camel? So 10 camels all needing to be filled up with water was an enormous task to be taken on. And it needed 300 gallons of water to fill all 10 camels' bellies. So this was not an easy task. There was no pumping of a well. It's a clay pot down a well, roll it back up. I mean, it would take a lot. So here he's asking something specific. God, not only will it draw me water, but the woman for Isaac will draw water for all 10 of these camels. Man, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That means it's heavy. It would take a long time. It's no small job. So Eliezer rides up to the city, and this is recorded in the scripture. And he rides up, and he sees this woman by the name of Rebekah. And the Bible says she was beautiful. And as he rides up to the city, Rebecca comes out, and she's getting ready to utter the phrase that will change the destiny of her life. Eliezer comes, and Rebecca says, what do you need? And he says, I need some water. May I have some? And Rebecca says, I'll not only give you water, but I'll draw water for all of your ten camels until they are full. She didn't say, I don't know you. Don't tell me anything. I'll taser you. She said, my Lord, I'll draw the water for you and your 10 camels until they are full. I don't mind going the second mile with a smile. I don't mind giving it my very best. I don't mind showing you what a commitment to excellence looks like. And now this is an opportunity for God to show up and show out. Her hospitality profile brought her a payday that would change her life. After she had watered that last camel to the full, Eliezer said, Rebecca, let me show you what I brought on these 10 camels. Let me show you the dresses I just got from Neiman Marcus. Let me show you the red one. Let me show you the green one. Let me show you the yellow one. Oh, let me show you the bracelets. It took 10 camels because it was loaded down with so much stuff that anybody in their right mind would want to go with this man. And she started putting those dresses over her arm. She went into the house, and the spokesperson of the house, Laban, he didn't know what was going on outside, but she brought those dresses in. She brought the bracelets in, and it's recorded in Genesis 24. I love this. And he literally says, this thing's of God. Take her and go. That's literally what it says. There was no long engagement. I think we're going to, Joey, we're going to be engaged. And we love Jesus, but we're going to be engaged until 2024. As you're living together, really? As you're shacking up? As you're not honoring God, you're calling it? I mean, we have to get real here if we're going to raise the standard and raise our level of thinking. What does he do? Take her and go. There was no long goodbye party. There was no engagements that lasted for eternity. He said, let's go. This is the first day of the rest of your life. So Eliezer takes Rebekah back on this long journey. And here's what the scripture says. And I love this. It says, when Isaac saw her, he fell in love with her. He knew it was God's will, and she knew it was God's will. Here's why, and I think this is the most important part of the message thus far, and it's going to even get better as I go, because marriage, first of all, is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. 
Marriage is a spiritual thing. And when that spirit gets broken and change begins to come, you have to realize it's time for a change because marriage is a spiritual thing. And what I mean by that is I mean when you start to go out and you're waiting on God, why do relationships die? Why do marriages die? Why do people, they're good friends one minute or they have good relationships one minute and then things don't go their way? I can tell you because of neglect and ignorance. Neglect and ignorance. Marriages die because of neglect and ignorance. I know that by dealing with a lot of people who go through separations. Neglect of each other and ignorance of the word of God. They refuse to let the threefold get into the marriage. They refuse to let God get into that marriage. And that marriage starts to die because of neglect and because of ignorance. Do you know that's important? Because before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites irritate. It's true. So think about this. The major cause is there's so much differences because we don't dwell together in relationships according to the scriptures of knowledge. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 7 that we're to dwell together in knowledge. Husbands and wives dwell together according to what? Knowledge. Knowledge of what? Not only one another, but knowledge of the Lord. Where God becomes the threefold in the relationship because there's something so important of that. Because how many of you know people are, will bring complications into your life? Some people bring it in and they don't mean to bring it in. And people sometimes bring it in because that's just how communication happens. How many of you know we're different? There's so many differences between men and women. Now we're having debates of, of, of track teams, literally letting people in of, of, of different sex into a track field, and they're taking advantage because they're biological differences, and, but yet they're claiming to be of this, uh, of this person, and, but they're not really of that person physiology and physically, so now they're saying, I identify as this person, and now we have a big issue going on in sports arena. We have a big issue going on in our civil society. We have a big issue going on in the church because people don't dwell together in knowledge. They don't dwell together in full understanding of what God has to say about it. That's something so important because many times it goes over the heads of so many people. And, and a lot of times we just think to ourselves, you know, I don't know. And so I'm just not going to go there. But we're different. Men and women are different. Not only physically, but, but psychologically. We're different. How many of you know men and women are different? I mean, it, it, now we've got so many. How, how do you identify? Are you a he, she, or a her, ham, ha, whatever? It's crazy. God created male and female. That's it. It's not that complicated. I identify as a, I don't even know what to even say anymore. We're living in a crazy world. And the world that we're living in, we're not of it. We're in it, but we're not to be of it. Can I get a witness this morning? And we're different. Men and women are different. It's what I call right brain caring versus left brain logic. We know that's a psychological issue, but it's also a something that is proven by science. Right brain caring versus left brain logic. There was a man by the name of Dr. Sperry who won a Nobel Peace Prize back in the 80s for his breakthrough study on how boy babies and girl babies were so different at, at the birth. And literally, they were so different that... They, he found out through his medical studies how different they really were. He had this breakthrough. Between the 16th and the 26th month, baby boys had a chemical reaction in their brain that girl babies did not have. 
Two chemicals were found in his immense study were released to slow down the development of the right side of the brain of that boy. That's the caring side. So Dr. Sperry found out what all women already knew. Men have brain damage. <laughs> Not all is happening. I hear people often say, you can read men like a book. I say like a pamphlet. You got to get it straight. No long, drawn-out book. My friend just gave me a book in San Antonio, and I'm like, oh, good, under 200 pages. I might read it. <laughs> What's the point? You, so we're different. We're so different as, as Pat and the worship team comes. We're different, and you need to know there's differences in relationship. There's so much difference. That right brain, left brain affects your married life. It affects how you treat one another. You can legitimately tell your wife, man, I, I've got something going on up here. I've got some medical evidence to prove it. It affects your memory. It really does. You know, Jennifer likes to uh, talk to people on the phone or she talks. And, you know, after the conversation, if it's somebody that's close in the family, and she'll give, you, she'll give me a word-by-word -word detail of the conversation. But you know what the problem with that is? I don't care. <laughs> she don't care about it. Not even a not even piquito. And I'll be talking. I was just talking to my friend Charlie the other night on the phone. He called me and Jennifer after the car. She goes, what, what were you and Charlie talking about? You were on the phone a while. And I go, nothing. <laughs> He's good. We're all good. <laughs> One's not right and wrong. They're just different. We're different. It's how we deal with crisis emotionally versus chaos. And, and I want to get down to the, you know, it's processing versus results. Men are different. Men like the results of it. A lot of women like the process of it. Oh, go look at that. Oh, go look at that. I'm like, let's just get to that. I mean, you know, that's just regarding our differences. But our differences could be our greatest strength when it's connected to the right source. And I think that's so important. And, and we're so different. You ask a man about his honeymoon, he'll remember that he took one. But you ask a woman about it. Well, we went here, and the, the color doyles were on the tables, and they were. Th and I remember the band. It was cool in the gang celebrate. <laughs> and then I remember when the maitre d came in, he had a certain glare in his eyes. What? What's going on? <laughs> we're different. All men know that sagging feeling when your wife says, do you remember when? And you can't even remember it happening. You know, I've been married now 20 years this September. And I think that's a pretty good, you know, pretty good. That's a pretty good stint. Sentence. I mean, I mean. But it affects everything. Relationships are complicated, but they can be so rewarding when they're put in the proper perspective. And trying to solve everything with logic from a man and emotion from a woman won't get it done. Because pure logic from a man is not right. And pure emotion from a woman is not right. God's word is always right. And that's why you have to dwell together according to knowledge. They balance one another out. It's important. How do we do that in this chaotic day we live where people identify so strangely now and people live with so much wounds and so much hurt when we're so different and wonderfully made in God's image? 
But often we just look at our pain and our past and all the things we didn't accomplish and the separations and the divorce and the, and the kids and all the things that are not good and all the things that we wish we would have done and the things we wish we would have said instead of saying, God, this is a new day. I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do, even though it's complicated, even though it's discouraging. I'm going to trust you. That's important because communication is key, not only to God, it's what we call prayer, but with one another. Communication to a person is like blood that goes to a body. It's that important. And it's so just not done anymore. We live in a society that has technological advances, but no communication. Everything's now an emoji. I've got a pretty good one. I've got me looking like me. I'll send it out, thumbs up. Hair explosion or a brain explosion. But it's not really me communicating. It's important to know that we should be complimenting one another in public. All compliments should be given in public. All complaints and critiques should be given in private. Think about the complications of relationships today. We do the opposite. All critiques, all compliments, public. They're blasting me on Facebook. They're blasting me on social media. They're blasting me with my family. And all compliments now are private because we live in a backward society. A society now that says right is wrong and wrong is right. And we're living in a day where God's people need to start thinking differently, speaking differently. Our compliments need to be in public and our critiques and our complaining need to be in private. And there is a world of difference. Communication means I can tell you and you can tell me without World War III. I can share with you, you can share with me, we can share one another's, we can have differences, we can have disagreements, but we can still be friends, we can still move on, we can still let things go, but you have to start forgiving today. You have to forgive yourself and you have to forgive the ones that have hurt you. If you try to wait around for that, for that spouse, that ex to come and say they're sorry, you'll, get, you'll be waiting a long time. If you try to wait for them to finally get it right and come and confess their sins in front of you and in front of an audience of many, it's never going to happen. What you and I need to do is just move on. It means I can share things. I can do things. I can believe things. I can love all things. I can do that. It, it starts to manifest itself, if not like a beach ball that you try to put underwater and you just can't get it underwater for any length of time. And that's what happens when you stop communicating. And that's what happens when you stop loving. It's what happens when you stop forgiving. It's what happens when you start living beneath your destiny and your dignity. It happens to so many people. It's important because you and I have an opportunity to forgive each and every day, to forgive, to forgive one another, forgive ourselves, and even forgive God with some of the things that we think that he's let happen. Because a marriage can be restored or a new marriage can be birthed. A life can be restored, a home can be restored. God can do all things. But he can if we keep holding on to the past. He can't if we keep relationships so toxic that we keep letting people come around us that are only going to hurt us and harm us. You've got to let go and you got to let God. You got to let go and you got to let God. It's important.